This episode of the Invest Your Best podcast with Allie Kay is brought to you by Premium Jane. Premium Jane is a U.S.-based company offering a number of CBD products. CBD is said to help support a sense of calm for focus, the management of everyday stresses, healthy sleep cycles, recovery from exercise-induced inflammation, and much more. To find Premium Jane's full range of CBD products, visit them at premiumjane.com and be sure to use the coupon code YOURBEST for 20% off your purchase. Hi friends, welcome to season two of Invest Your Best with Allie Kay. Come along as I casually explore what it takes for you to live your best life mentally, physically, and spiritually by focusing on the things you can control, your thinking and actions. Come and listen as I have raw, real, and open conversations about what it takes for you to step into action to live your best life. It's time to invest your best. Hey guys, welcome to the Invest Your Best podcast. On this episode, I have Annie Grace, who is the author of This Naked Mind. And if you tuned into the podcast a couple weeks ago, I had an episode called Balancing Alcohol where I just had that open and raw and real conversation with myself on how alcohol is negatively affecting my life and how I really didn't think it was supporting my personal and professional goals. And a listener actually messaged me and told me about this Naked Mind book. And of course, I love to read. So I immediately went out and got this book. And I can't even begin to tell you how much this book has shifted my whole conscious belief and perspective of alcohol and how I can still maintain it in my life, but not having this control over me. And I am so excited to share this conversation I had with Annie Grace, who I truly believe is starting a movement. So stick around for this episode of Invest Your Best with Allie Kay. All right, guys, welcome to the Invest Your Best podcast. I am your host, Allie Kay. And guys, I am freaking out. I am so excited. I have the author of the book, This Naked Mind. It is a life-changing book. Annie, you have changed my life. Thank you so much for coming on the show and welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Allie. It's so fun to be here. Appreciate it. I got to tell you, so I did a couple months ago, I was really struggling with alcohol and the role it had in my life. And I decided to just do a podcast episode where I just had that open conversation with everyone And I had a listener message me and said, you have to go get this Naked Mind like today. And I did. And I also downloaded the audio book and I just did two chapters a day in my car. And I can't even tell you just the dramatic change it's had in my life and just bringing everything 
just being aware of it, you know? So I wanted to just back up really quickly and talk about your background. I know in the book you talk about, you know, you were that person waking up at 3 a.m., having that conversation with yourself from alcohol. So how did this start? And tell me a little bit about your personal journey. Yeah, awesome. So I didn't drink a ton. I mean, I I drank here and there in high school, but not really. I actually never even really went to an official high school party. Uh, And then I didn't drink a lot in college at all. My husband and I got married and we moved to New York City. And I remember my first day on the job, my new job, the colleagues, they said, hey, you know, let's take you out for new drinks. You're the new girl. And I was like, awesome. And so we went out to this hotel bar. It was very fancy. And I didn't know what to order because I wasn't a big drinker, but I was watching a lot of Sex in the City, so yeah. I ordered the Cosmopolitan. <laughs> of course. And got like, the looks. They're like, huh, because that wasn't actually what people were like often drinking. Anyhow, so I remember getting the bill for that. And of course, I was just out of college, didn't have a ton of money, and it was 25 bucks. And they paid for it, but I was like, this is silly. I'm not going to do this anymore. So fast forward about, I don't know, probably six or eight months, I'd gotten promoted. I was in a different role. And my boss came up to me and he's like, why aren't you showing up at happy hour? And I was like, oh, I don't really drink. And he's like, okay, it's not about that. Happy hour is kind of like the golf course. It's where the deals are done. It's where your ideas get noticed. Like you need to come. Okay. So I actually made a method. I was like, all right, I don't want to be drunk. I knew that. I didn't want to embarrass myself. I was very serious about my career. So I do a glass of wine and then a pint of water and I switch between them to like make sure that I was always okay. And then, you know, about a year or so into it, I was starting to get some tolerance, but I wasn't still drinking a ton. But if I started to get too drunk, I would actually go to the bathroom and throw up the last glass of wine just to keep drinking. And it was because I was so serious about like not being that person. In fact, when I stopped drinking, I remember people coming up to me and saying, you weren't the one I was worried about. You didn't have the problem. But what I didn't What I didn't realize is that that desire not to be, you know, the one dancing on the tables at the work event, it was purely driven from just wanting to succeed in my career more than anything. And that was really my motivation. But alcohol, which I didn't know at the time, is super addictive. And so I would come home after work and look at my running shoes and I'd be like, oh, then I'd look, you know, at a bottle of wine. I'd be like, oh. And so slowly I just started what was drinking just at happy hours, started to be drinking at home. And then fast forward 10 years and I had gotten promoted plenty of times. I was global head of marketing in this multinational company. I was flying all around the world, 28 countries and drinking two bottles of wine every single night. And I was miserable Um, waking up at 3 a.m. like you mentioned, very uh, internally upset, very much wondering why I was in control of everything else in my life. But this was the strange exception, having experiences like my kid coming to sit on my lap and him telling me, oh, no, I can't sit here, mom. You smell bad and your teeth are purple. And just kind of the heartbreak of it, going to bed with a glass of wine by the side of my bed, forgetting to brush my teeth. I mean, really in the thick of it and believing that it was the thing keeping it all together, that if I didn't have it, then things were really going to fall apart because this was the thing. I mean, how else was I going to have two kids and a marriage and this career and be traveling so much? I had to have this. This was the thing that was keeping everything together. And I didn't realize, of course, that it was really what was tearing it all apart. 
I love that. I, I love how you say in the book, like you bring it to attention. We're conditioned to believe that the drink, this drink brings happiness and it's what we need to have fun with friends and it's what we need to relax. But at the end of the day, it's taking away more from our lives than it's adding. And I want to just dive deep into the book and you you explain this so eloquently about the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, which is the basis of everything. So can you just kind of explain that a little bit and how we have been conditioned subconsciously to believe these things about alcohol? Yeah. So I had a crazy experience and it was really having to do, I was having very severe back pain and I had read this book. I was recommended this book by Dr. John Sarno Mm -hmm. and the book says in the first chapter, that Mm. sometimes your mind can store pain in your body as a distraction from subconscious beliefs that you don't want to surface. And you don't have to believe this for it to be true, Wow! but I need to talk to your subconscious mind. So I need you to read this 300-page book, and once you do, your back pain will go away. And I was like, yeah, right. But I was also super desperate. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to give it a go. So I read this book. Wow. And literally my back pain went away. I went from not being able to pick up my kids to being able to jump on the trampoline. Uh, It was crazy within, you know, just literally the span of reading the book. And it was the craziest thing that ever had happened to me. And it really awakened to me to the power of the subconscious. And I started to think, I, I wonder if this applies because I knew that I was doing something that didn't make sense to me. And that was one of the premises Mm -hmm. of the book is that when your actions don't make sense to you, when I know, like, I know I want to drink less. I know I don't want to be, you know, feeling this way. I know I don't want to be disappointing my family in this way. Why do I keep doing it? That maybe there's subconscious beliefs there that are actually running your show. And I was like, what if that's true? What if I have this whole Like I was very certain consciously that I wanted to stop drinking at this point in my life or at least drink significantly less, but I felt very incapable Mm -hmm. of doing it. I wasn't able to, I would try it. I would make these rules for myself. Like, okay, no drinking till Friday. And then I would break the rule and I'd be like, okay, next week, no drinking till Thursday. And then I would break the rule and then I'd be like, okay, just one day off a week. I can do that. And then I would break the rule or just two glasses of wine. I can do that. And then I'd break the rule. And so I was just so confused by my own behavior And what I realized is that um, there is something called cognitive dissonance, which is basically like where you have two competing ideas inside your one brain. And I had the belief consciously at this point in time that alcohol was just crap, that it wasn't doing me any favors, that I didn't want it. But I had these far more powerful subconscious beliefs. And these beliefs were, I believe this, like the sky was blue. I mean, I really deeply believed that alcohol was the duct tape holding my whole life together, that it relaxed me, that it made me good at my job, that it was the only way that I could loosen up in the bedroom. And these things were so powerful because they weren't the ones that were real present in my mind. I wasn't But it was the craving and the desire. You know, when we think about uh, traditional addiction, we think about a physical addiction. And for most people, that's not true. In fact, according to the CDC, only 10% of excessive drinkers, so only 10% of the people who drink excessively are actually physically addicted to alcohol. And even then, if you stop drinking, you're only going to be physically dependent on alcohol for seven to 10 days. That's how long it takes your body to actually rebalance. 
But this mental part. It's all the mind. <laughs> we all know people who took a 30-day break and then go yep. back to drinking, right? So this mental part is so much stronger. And I started to develop this theory. I was like, well, what if I could overcome that cognitive dissonance? What if I could have the, the subconscious beliefs around alcohol start to agree with the conscious beliefs? And so I went through this whole journey of doing that. And that's what this naked mind does for people to where at the end of it, it kind of just feels like a magic trick because you don't really realize it, but you're just, you just look at that wine and you're like, why would I do that? I don't want to put that in my body. And all of a sudden what you were thinking consciously becomes your emotional feeling too, because we don't think about it, but our subconscious runs our emotion. Like our desires often come. You don't, you don't consciously fall in love with somebody. You're not like, oh, okay, that person makes all of the sense on paper. So I'm going to consciously decide that I love them. It, it, it comes from things like, do they remind you of your parents? Do they smell right? Do they, like all of these beliefs that are so deeply buried and they manifest in desire. And so trying to do something that you're really attached to at a subconscious level, trying not to do something is the definition of torture in a way, because it, it awakens that cognitive dissonance. And so you're both sitting here like, why do I want to do this? I can't stop. But then a big part of you is like, no, this is the answer. Like, how are we ever going to relax without a glass of wine? How are we ever going to have fun? And so the book really is about um, getting all on the same page. And then your desire for drinking goes away. And without desire, you're not tempted. You know, you're as tempted as you would be if, to pick up a glass of motor oil. It, it's really a different different conversation. Usually we are trying to use willpower and we are trying to not do something we want to do. We're trying to not do something that we think provides a benefit. But with this approach, you're changing the fact that you think it provides a benefit in a very scientific way where we just go through all the studies and all the facts, and then you don't think it provides a benefit. So then you don't want to do it. It's just... Cool. <laughs> That's so powerful. I mean, just understanding that concept alone of the subconscious and conscious mind and bringing it all into one mind is so freaking powerful. And I think that's what it was for me because I was having this open conversation with everyone. Like I had it on my podcast. Like, why am I still drinking? Like, I know I don't sleep. I'm the one that's dancing on the bars, you know, caught having fights with my husband. I'm hung over the next day around my kids. I don't want to be that person. And I'm also on this journey of trying, you know, you talk about it in the book, like what your happiness is. That's being your mental and physical healthy self, you know, and I'm on this journey and I'm like, this doesn't even bring me close to my goals, but why can't? I stop, you know, and I think that's what this book was for me is really understanding how much our subconsciousness drives our action, what we do. And I think that's what, for me, this snake in mind, this book really changed, you know, my whole perspective on alcohol. That's so great. So I wanted to share one of the products that I have been loving lately. I love CBD for so many reasons. It's said to help support a sense of calm for focus, the management of everyday stresses. For me, it helps me fall asleep faster. Um, it also is said to help with recovery from exercise-induced inflammation. And if you are looking for a quality product, 
I want to share with you Premium Jane. Premium Jane is a U.S.-based company offering a number of CBD products. They have oils, topicals, capsules, gummies, bath bombs. They even have CBD for pets. All of their products are made from completely organic, Kentucky-grown industrial hemp and are third-party lab-tested to ensure pure and quality CBD. And for those of you that don't really know what CBD is, CBD is naturally occurring in the industrial hemp plant. And in order to achieve pure qualities and quantities, Premium Jane uses the top of the line CO2 extraction methods. So if you are interested in Premium Jane products, visit them at premiumjane.com. And if you use the coupon code YOURBEST, you will receive 20% off your purchase. So go on and check them out at premiumjane.com. So real fast, I wanted to give you the health tip of the day. Today's health tip of the day may seem simple, but it's actually to give thanks. Now, there is a lot of evidence-based research that backs the positive effects of expressing gratitude in your life has on individuals. And I wanted to just share some ways that you can cultivate gratitude into your everyday life. So one of the things is to express three things that you're thankful for in the morning. Two is to keep a gratitude journal. Three is to meditate and four is to pray. Sometimes it's the simple things like focusing on the things we do have rather than the things that we lack that might bring the simple smile to our lives. So what's been the feedback with this naked mind? What kind of feedback? Because I love your Instagram. You have so many resources. I mean, you have your own podcast, but you also do so much on there. Tell me a little bit more about that. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yeah, the feedback's been amazing. So this Naked Mind, interestingly, was actually self-published at first. So I really had just all of this research. And I didn't intend to sort of quit my job or become an author or any of that. But I knew once I stopped drinking, I was like, oh, people need to know this. So I just found out how to put this PDF online. <laughs> I didn't even have it like get email addresses. I was just like, put it on a web page somewhere. I don't even care. And um 20,000 people downloaded it in two weeks. And I started getting emails from all over the world with people like, wow, this is so helpful. This helped me so much. And somebody actually emailed me and he's like, you should, you should make this a book. And I was like, okay, well, how do you do that? I didn't even know you could self-publish. So that was my original intention, just to self-publish it, to have it become a book out in the world. So I figured out how to do that on Amazon. I was still working. I had a friend 
design the cover. You know, we wrote all the copy ourselves, just hired an editor, stuff like that. And once it was on Amazon, it just started selling and really went, you know, viral to the point where I had traditional publishers within a few years calling me up and it actually went to auction among the big five publishers. And so it's been, you know, really organic, just word of mouth. It, it works. So people talk about it. And so that's been just amazing. And yeah, so eventually I did, um, decide to leave my job and and do this full time and start the podcast. We now have something called the alcohol experiment, which is like a free 30 day challenge. There's a book, but it's also online for free. You can go to alcoholexperiment.com and every day get a video and an email and, you know, really have that mindset shift where you (laughs) overcome that cognitive dissonance in a 30 day break format, which is really palatable to a lot of people because people like, like a challenge. We like to take a break. It's become popular, you know, with Dry January and Sober Curious and stuff. So that's always there as a resource. And so, yeah, now I'm doing this, but it was really, the feedback's just amazing. It, it just really works for people, which is is the best part. Yeah, I think you're honestly starting a movement because you're going against what we, like what society teaches us, you know? And I think one of the hardest things for me has always been like the social aspect of drinking. And I think that's for a lot of people because you don't want to be that person at the bar where people are like, why aren't you drinking? You know, what what's going on? And I think you're starting this movement where you're having that conversation of the role of alcohol in your life. And that's so powerful. But I want to jump into the society. Tell me a little bit more because you talk about it in your book. Just what what are we conditioned to believe about alcohol from society? Well, it's amazing. I mean, the social aspect, I think, is so interesting because if you look around you, like you can't go five minutes without seeing something that's pro-alcohol, whether it's on TV or on the Internet or on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, Anywhere. And it's at every event. And so we've really done something where we have taken things that I would argue are fun alone. (laughs) Parties Mm -hmm. are fun. Kids prove that to us. They have so much fun at parties, even though they are not drinking. And we have coupled them all with alcohol. So speaking of the subconscious, that creates a very direct link. Your brain says, oh, this plus this equals that when really just party equals fun. It's not necessarily party plus alcohol equals fun or sporting event plus alcohol equals fun or baby shower plus alcohol or funeral plus alcohol, everything. Can't even imagine. I remember running a marathon and and there was, you know, a beer, like huge keg stand at the end yeah. because that was like part of the thing. And I, they're like, here. Yeah, like this is replenish your carbs. Good Good for you, you know, and yoga and and wine and everything. We've coupled it all. And so, and it's brilliant from a marketing perspective, because if you can make alcohol seemingly essential to everything, if you look at, like, just look at this recent Super Bowl advertisements, they were about coupling alcohol, making alcohol in our minds synonymous with being in shape, having friends, not being lonely, being in a romantic relationship, being part of the thing, you know, being cozy at home, like everything you can imagine that we want. But the thing is that those things are great anyway. <laughs> and I would argue that alcohol detracts from them. However, the, the traditionally, because we think society has conditioned us so much to think, okay, drinking's the norm, drinking's what we should all be doing. So if we're not drinking, 
then we have a problem and you're to be pitied. And so when someone shows up on the scene not drinking, you either A, feel threatened because you're like, oh my gosh, I was worried about my drinking too. And they've in effect shown a mirror to you to say, hey, like, what about you? Even if they don't say anything, that's just what happens. Or B, Mm-hmm. You know, you're sitting there thinking, well, poor person. I'm so sorry you can't drink anymore. I mean, I got so many messages from people. I'm so sorry. What must have happened? I'm so sorry. And I was like, I just decided to do this. I, I'm not sorry. <laughs> and so yeah. because of that. <laughs> I feel good. Yeah, we treat it like this kind of like pariah where if you think about it, we don't do that if somebody shows up and they're like, you know what? I just can't eat eggs anymore. Eggs are making my stomach hurt. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. We don't have this like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. We're like, oh, that sucks, but whatever. And and you still, you know, we probably still invite the person to a breakfast place because guess what? There's other things besides eggs on the menu. <laughs> you can actually mm-hmm. order things that don't have alcohol in them at the bar. But because we have this idea in our head that we're not going to fit in. And then of course it's, it's mirrored back to us by people's reactions we get really afraid of, of social situations. And I actually think that's a disservice to the people who are still drinking and you know may want to make a change. And it's a disservice to ourselves because those things are fun anyway. Like I have been to, I mean, I went to like a dance club in Brazil, um, <laughs> super sober. It was amazing. I had so much fun, right? Like I, w- I remember going to the Middle East for a work trip, super sober. I remember being in Paris at a really fancy steakhouse with like, you know, the best wine ever, super sober yeah. and having an incredible meal. And so by, you know, and traditionally we think, okay, well, if we're not drinking, we just have to hang out with not drinkers. And, and I, none of that is right. actually true, but it really does depend on our attitude going into it. If we walk into somewhere feeling like, oh, this sucks. Like it will suck. Like our brains are so powerful. So if we decide up front that this is going to be boring, if I don't have a drink or it's not going to be fun or those things will become true. But if, if we go into it, we don't have to go into it with this idea that, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing because I don't think that works either. But if we go into it just with curiosity, like, okay, I'm not done this for in my adult life. How is this going to be? Is it going to be a train wreck or is it going to be fun? I don't know. Maybe none of the above. Let me see then we allow the possibility. And I can't tell you how many thousands of emails I've gotten from people who are like, I went and I did karaoke and I was just curious and it was so much fun. Or I went (laughs) to whatever and it was so much fun just because instead of having the preconceived idea that it's going to suck, they've just allowed that it might actually be a good time. Yeah, I think and that's like another thing. It never crossed my mind that I can go to a bar and like order water or like get coffee. Like you just don't think about it. You think like, okay, if you're not drinking, then you just have to sit there and pout or something. There's alternative stuff. And I I like how you mentioned too, you know, we if someone's not drinking, we almost in a sense like pity them. Like, oh, I feel sorry for you. But it's also like that larger that larger picture that we're not the problem. It's alcohol. Yeah. And you talk about that more in the book. So kind of just shed light on that. Like, you know, it, it's alcohol is the problem. If I had to put it in, you know, one idea, the biggest kind of fallacy in our society, it is this idea that everybody can drink normally except a certain percentage of the population and they are the ones who have a problem with alcohol, and so they have to get sober. 
And that idea scientifically is just so far from the truth. In fact, it's so far from the truth. I, <laughs> my conspiracy theory brain says, hmm, I wonder if that was invented by the industry because that would make more sense than anything, you know, in the, in the sense of reality. But the reality is by doing that, by saying, okay, well, if you can't drink normally, if you drink too much, you, you human are the problem we create this huge sense of shame. And so we ask ourselves when we're drinking too much, oh my gosh, do I have a problem? Am I an alcoholic? What's wrong with me? And of course, all those questions, your brain will provide instant answers to, and none of those answers are pleasant. And so what do you do when you get stressed? You drink more and the cycle you know, perpetuates itself. Whereas the science just very definitively says, there's, there's no, no doctor will argue with you if you bring this to them directly, is alcohol addictive? <laughs> To the human body, by the way, every human body, the ones that have flesh and blood and cells like those, those kind and every, yeah, yeah, it's addictive. <laughs> like there's not, so we, we spend all this time sig singling out these people who have to get sober that might have a problem, hoping beyond hope that we're not one of these people, whereas it's really this substance. And so it begs the question, well, why then do some people seem to fall into the trap so much faster and other people can just dr seem to drink normally for their whole lives and it's not a big deal for them? Well, there's like infinite number of reasons for that. But two of the main reasons that we can cover very quickly are number one is uh, just how much. So sheer quantity totally plays into that. So if somebody's drinking just on occasion here and there, the chances of it becoming super addictive to them are, are much, much less because they're not coupling it with every event. You know, I have friends who seem to drink normally, but I promise right. you they're not getting drunk every time they go to do something. So every single night or social event has not been coupled with alcohol. So that's number one. And number two, and this is just neurologically true, is that when you start to drink to self-medicate, the brain responds in a different way and it becomes more addictive to the human brain. So if you're drinking socially, you can you know, keep it at bay for a long time. Now, quantity will always catch up with you if you're drinking socially every single night. It will turn into something more than you want it to. You will develop, even if it's just a psychological dependence, an emotional dependence, you will develop a dependence on it. But when you turn to alcohol, most people who really find themselves in a bad place, I've said, okay, when was the moment that, that it really changed? almost inevitably. For me, it was when my second son was born and I had very severe postpartum depression. And it went from something, I wasn't happy with my drinking before that, but after that, things mm -hmm. were serious. It was a problem. Uh, for, you know, people would be like, it was my divorce. It was this instance. It was that really stressful job. It was when I started to drink at home alone by myself to, to handle my stress. It was the instant that you start to use it to relieve stress instead of just socially, that it it really can accelerate in a much quicker way. It's so, oh gosh, Annie, I could talk to you for hours. You're just, I, I can't even get over this that I'm talking to you. And this, this book, if anyone wants to just evaluate their life, go grab this book, This Naked Mind. Where can we find it? I know I got mine at Books A Million. Where can we go buy this book? Yeah, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, yeah, anywhere books are sold for sure. And it's, I read the audio myself. So that was the most interesting and boring thing I've ever done, but it was, it was really fun. <laughs> it's good. You have a very self-soothing voice because I listened to it. You know, one of the things you recommend is just do a chapter or two a day so you can really, you know, soak in that information. So I listened to it in the car and I felt very at ease listening to oh, you. Good. So you did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. 
real quick before you go, um, definitely go buy this book. But what are just some takeaways if someone just wants to start kind of like maybe cutting alcohol out? Can you just give us maybe some um, takeaways where they can even start? So I think the first thing, there's two main things to start with, and and they are curiosity and self-compassion. So curiosity means just start to get really curious without the judgment. So curious about, huh, okay, well, why do I want to drink right now? I literally made a reason of every reason I thought drinking was good, and I had it written down. And I started to to notice those things. I remember one day when I was coming out of my office and I was in this curious phase, I was just getting really curious about my own drinking without judging myself. And I remember walking out of my office, I was working at home and going to the cabinet and pulling down my glass of wine. And I remember feeling better opening the bottle before I even took a sip. And I was like, that is fascinating, right? Like how interesting is that, that I feel relief and better and excited and euphoric even before I drank a drop of the alcohol. Huh. So anyway, curiosity, just really get curious without judgment. No, no wrong way to do it except to judge yourself. And then self-compassion. You know, if you're drinking more than you want to be drinking, you have to just realize at a baseline, the reason you're doing it is because you are doing the best you can with the tools you have. And alcohol has been given to us as human beings, as the tool, you know, (laughs) the tool for fun, the tool for relaxation, the tool for loosening up, the tool for being less socially anxious, the tool for being, you know, better at our our work, more present with our kids. It has literally been given to us as that tool. And you just need to realize that you are not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Alcohol itself is addictive and your brain is actually doing exactly what it was designed to do, which, um, you know, on a chemical level, your brain is reacting to the overstimulation of dopamine within alcohol. And so it's saying, Hey, that thing you just did, do that again. And by the way, do that again. So we survive. It's getting confused, but there's nothing wrong with you. So when you start to have that level of self-compassion, like you're not setting out to make a mess of your life. You are just doing the best you can. And you've just been given this tool that is, is leading you astray. I love that. And I think in this book, you definitely give those tools to reevaluate what's going on with alcohol. And I, for me, like I definitely have gotten to the place where I view alcohol almost kind of like a dessert. You don't have dessert with every meal. If you do have dessert, it's very well thought out and picked. And I think that's where I am now. And I have to say, before I read that book, it was not like that at all. So thank you. Go find Annie on Instagram at This Naked Mind. Go pick up the copy today. I'm telling you guys, it will change your life. And if you need more resources, go look her up on Instagram. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. 